Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Phineas Club. This is episode 85 for March 2017. everyone and welcome back to the Phileas Club. This is a show where we get people from different parts of the world and we ask them what's been happening uh, in their country, what's been making the news in their media and what they think about the things that have been uh, happening uh, in other parts of the world. And hopefully through all of this, we get a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of perspective on what we know and what we learn. Uh, my name is Patrick Beja. I am currently in France. I am, uh, well, I'm actually French, I suppose. <laughs> I say I suppose because I move around a lot. Uh, but of course, as uh, usual, when the show is at its best, uh, my co-host for uh, my my favorite co-host is here, and that's Turkey from Saudi Arabia. How are you doing, Turkey? I'm doing good, Mr. French guy. <laughs> You, you sound. <laughs> you are, you are, you, you are very much French. Yes, you are. Ah, Trust thank me. you, thank you. You realize that uh, <laughs> I have not one drop of French blood in me, right? Uh, it's I, yeah, I, I know. was yeah. So it's always funny when no, people say no, oh, yeah, no, no. Wait, French. wait, wait. We need to do a DNA test. <laughs> I guess so. We both know. We both know Lebanon has a lot of European blood in it. That is true. That's true. Uh, so thank you for being on the show, Turkey, with your, um, I was going to say uncharacteristic, but it's characteristic uh, energy. Um, you have so much energy, uh, you could be English with your famous English phlegm. Um, but anyway, all right, let's keep going. Uh, <laughs> Charles is here as a, uh, a revenant, a uh, welcomed back host from the days of yore before the great... Uh, the great hiatus of the show of 2012, I think. Um, Charles mm -hmm. hails from Australia, and he's very—he's kind enough to stay up uh, late-ish to be with us. How is it going, Charles? It's going very, very well, and uh, I'm pleased that you were desperate enough to dust off the cobwebs <laughs> of me and drag me from my uh, revenant grave to uh, join you for the evening. <laughs> Well, I'm very glad you agreed uh, to to put off your uh, restful sleep, uh, quite literally, since it's, it's, since it's late um, in Australia to be with us. And, All good. And finally, we're welcoming a first-timer on the show. Marlene is here from the Netherlands. How's it going, Marlene? I'm fine, thank you. So we were talking a little bit uh, before the show started, and I was trying to figure out exactly what it is you do i, I i'm still not exactly sure <laughs> but my understanding is that well you're from the netherlands and um you you make things and you cook things and you're generally channeling your artistic energies in uh creating stuff yeah i work part-time and in the meantime i make a lot of stuff for people that i care about that sounds like I was going to say like a lovely thing, but really what I'm thinking and what a lot of our audience is thinking, that sounds like a bleeding heart liberal is what it sounds like. <laughs> well, I am Dutch after all. Socialist. Socialist. <laughs> Basically, you're trying to help people. Um, well, you know, it's, I'm really glad we have you on, uh, on the show, Marlene, because you're going to be able to tell us about uh, what happened in the Netherlands, which was sort of uh, the... the 
pre-written story, the continuation of the story of uh, the rise of nationalism in uh, Europe, the US, and, you know, with Brexit and uh, President Trump, and then it was supposed to be the Netherlands and then France. And it didn't yep. quite happen in the Netherlands. Um, and we don't know exactly what's going to be happening in France in a few weeks, but uh, let's say for me personally, what happened uh, in the Netherlands was uh, probably a positive thing. And we'll mm -hmm. talk about it a little bit further so you can explain exactly what happened. Because if I'm being 100% honest, I'm not sure I quite understand it. So um, it's good you're here to clarify things. I'd love to. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I think it's a good thing because I think lots of the international media got it um, quite wrong. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I hope You're... I can help explain something. <laughs> Excellent. So we'll get back to that in a little bit. Um, before we do, though, uh, we do have to mention the news from London with the, the attack that happened a couple of days ago. Um, I, I don't think it's worth spending too much time on it. We are obviously going to mention it because... Uh, I don't think we could not mention it. But the feeling I got, at least from here in France, everyone talked about it, of course, but there was a little bit of a, you know, a, a fatigue or maybe not even a fatigue. It's like, well, business as usual is what we said before uh, we started the show when we were talking about it. And that might sound insensitive, but maybe it's because it's not a huge, you know, bombing attack or it's still absolutely tragic, but it's it it didn't feel so on on the one hand uh, here in france it didn't feel uh like a huge uh, uh how could tragedy it was a tragedy but not like uh, something that gets everyone uh, um that touches everyone in the way that the previous terror attacks have again uh, others might have been more tragic even if you can put a scale on this and the other thing i want to mention is that people seem to be uh reporting on it in a very measured manner you know i've heard way more you know let's not overreact let's make you know let's uh keep our our uh not business going, but let's make sure we don't let them win. Let's not be affected to by this uh, so uh, so much that they would be justified in or satisfied in their actions. And that's not quite the reaction I've seen in the past. So I'm curious if you guys have seen the same kind of uh, of you know get the same feeling from what you've seen in yeah. your media. Yeah, Marlene. Yeah, and I think I think in in the Netherlands it's it's been um, it's been the same, and maybe that is what's like the headline. Um, it's happened again, again. It's terribly sad, um, and again we struggle with how to react. But um, it's sad to say that it doesn't surprise us anymore. Mm, yeah, I guess it doesn't surprise us, and it doesn't even affect us quite as much, um, you know, as it did. In, and again, it's a smaller attack. So um, uh, I, I, I want to go to Turkey in a second. But before that, uh, Charles, uh, you mm -hmm. live very far away, even if you are part of the Commonwealth. I guess, right? I'm not mistaken. Well done, correct. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and there, there is an affinity with uh, with England, um, mm -hmm. no question. Uh, so perhaps it, it had a little bit more currency here. The other thing that, that played into the uh, the currency of the, uh, of the story was that in, gosh, I think it was January, 
uh, in the city I live in, which is Melbourne, there was, um, it wasn't a terrorist attack. It was just a guy who was uh, a, a reasonably troubled soul, did pretty much exactly the same thing in insofar as he drove his car through a crowded city street along the footpath and uh, uh, with pretty much the same result. Four or five people were killed, tragically killed, and, and around about 30 or 40 injured. So the, the, the event struck a chord, but as a, um, as a terrorist attack, it was very much reported the same way as you've expressed. It was mm. just the facts and uh, almost a bit of, yes, this has happened again, so maybe this is the world we're living in now. Mm. As far as the, uh, the, the reaction goes, let's just uh, get on with things. I think that's pretty consistent with how London responded to the bombings in um, I want to say 2003 or thereabouts, mm. uh, a much more significant event. But but uh, but they uh, uh, a, a lot of people there made the point of you know we're not afraid. We're just going to go on with uh, what we've been doing and uh, and uh, take it in our stride. It's with the the election campaigns going on. Of course, a lot of the candidates were asked about terrorism in general and. What was I'm talking about France, of course. Uh, what a lot mm. of people said was a lot of the candidates mentioned, you know, mentioned that I think absolute truth that we didn't want to talk about before, which is there is no way we can guarantee zero risk, right? There is no way we can guarantee our citizens that this will never happen again. And with the implication that chasing that illusion is is useless and kind of can be dangerous even uh for for liberties so and it's i think it's the first time that i'm seeing this being expressed in a uh in a wide way and i think this was before the attack so you know i think of course things might be ex completely different if we do get another attack in France. We've had a few ones in the past few years. But uh, it was kind of reassuring to me that what seems to me like, uh, you know, they're still extremely determined to uh, fight terrorism, but they're determined to fight it while acknowledging that you can't put, you know, one military for every person in the street and follow them around and that will fix the problem right this this is not the necessarily the right way of doing it there's a lot of questions still but it seems like the right approach is being considered a little bit more than before or what i consider the right approach um turkey what about you did you guys um discuss the london attack or not at all no we did of course it's uh Just, just like everywhere else, it's uh, uh, reactions, horrible. Uh, this is not something that, uh, well, we, being a Muslim nation, this is a lot of people's reaction was, this is not something that Muslims need at the moment. Uh, this is stupid, idiotic, uh, barbaric, and so on. And But at the end of the day, they, oh, well, anyway, it's just another day mm. for terrorist attacks. So it's something that It's expected. The only thing about it is that we really need to be more vigilant and uh, work uh, around it and fight it. That's that's basically it. And 
and uh, continue with your life. So basically, it's, that's that's the main point: is to continue living and uh, continuing the way you are. Because and and that's the mentality here in Saudi. Uh, Saudi is not like everybody knows. It's not like we we don't have terrorist attacks. Even Saudis, we usually on occasions have terrorist attacks, and we just learned a long time ago that one way to fight it is to continue on your uh, normal life because the day you are afraid the day you uh, start reacting to it badly that's the day when you are actually losing to them mm. all right well yeah. i guess that can be the the final word on this uh, on this story specifically um let's move on to our <coughs> main topics And uh, I guess I'm going to take the first one since I did mention the, the, the French elections because these elections are really, I don't want to say, I don't want to say crazy because it's inflammatory, but they're really unexpected and really unusual. Um, basically, what's happening without going into too much details is uh, the fact that the two main parties are basically not really in the race anymore. Um, and remember that uh, we have many different parties and in our elections, we have two rounds. So there's the first round uh, where any, any, you can vote for anyone that has gotten uh, enough signatures to be represented in the election. And that's signatures from elected officials. You have to gather 500 of them. Um, and we have 11 candidates that managed to do that this time. And that's not an unusual number. So we have 11 parties. We have oh, not 11 parties, sorry, 11 candidates. We have five of them that are uh, serious or big candidates. Uh, the two of them that would have been traditionally the biggest ones are the ones from the Socialist Party. So the traditional left wing and the ones the one from the Republican Party, which is the traditional right wing, obviously. It's basically like the Democrats and Republicans in the US, if you put it in the context of France. But because of different reasons, um, the, the those two candidates who were elected during primaries are now not in the lead. Um, there is one part, one candidate on the far left who is above um, the candidate of the left-wing party in the polls. And there is, of course, the candidate in the far right, which is Marine Le Pen. I think a lot of people have heard about her, uh, who is above, well, everyone else <laughs> on the, on, for the first round in the polls. Um, and the biggest surprise, really, is the candidate of the center, um, Emmanuel Macron, who is basically uh, being paint painted as a horrible right-wing uh, Republican capitalist by the left and being painted as a terrible left-wing socialist nutjob by the right, basically the continuation of the existing um, uh, government, which he has been a part of, by the way, for a little bit, but he's, uh, he was criticized in that government as being too right-leaning. So basically, he's really trying to uh, magically manifest the center in the country and make it matter. And what's incredible is that it's kind of working. That guy did not have a party a couple of years ago. He was Almost no one, um, you know, he used to be a banker, he studied in, in big schools, he was part of the government, but he didn't, he, he appeared out of nowhere a few years ago. And the, what he managed to do uh, was provide an alternative 
to the big parties while not being a an a, a extreme version of those parties, neither on the left or on the right. Um, and so for everyone who is disappointed with the traditional parties, of which there are many, many, many people, just like in, I think, every other election we've seen in the past uh, couple of years, uh, he, in the center, provides the quote-unquote a uh, reasonable alternative to the parties, whereas traditionally you often only have the extremes as alternatives. So this is the picture we have now. Of course, we've seen that the polls uh, have been wrong many times in the previous uh, elections. But currently, the traditional parties are uh, the, at the bottom of those five big candidates. So it's looking likely that uh, after the first round, the the biggest candidates will be Marine Le Pen and that guy in the center, uh, Emmanuel Macron. And in that scenario, uh, Marine Le Pen would lose, according to the polls, on the second round in the in the runoff. Um, it's of course possible that this won't happen, and that will have the the most likely second one would be the right wing candidate who is embroiled embroiled in in many different. Uh, Affairs, not affairs like sexual, but um, uh, issues of illegal activity and getting his wife to, uh, quote unquote, work for him when she didn't really, and he, he would get the salary paid by the government, etc., etc., a bunch of things. Uh, presents that he got, uh, basically suits and things like that, that he got for high value when he didn't declare it to the uh, ethics commission when he should have, a bunch of things like that. He's saying this is a uh, uh, being manufactured to put me out of the election, taking a really victimist uh, approach, and uh, we don't know if it's going to work. It's looking like it's not working according to the polls, but God knows if we can um, if we can trust the polls. So basically, again, the two main parties are being uh, taken out of the election, and it's like. It's not quite as big as if the Republicans and Democrats were out of an election in the U.S. Of course, it would be impossible in the U.S., but it it's kind of on the same-ish level. It's it's really surprising and really strange to be living through this this crazy election here in France. So I'm wondering if you guys have heard about this. I'm guessing not so much. You're hearing about uh, the strength of Le Pen, which is undeniable, but... Um, Anyone? Uh, yeah, Charles. Well, um, the what? I, I've oh. heard some. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> but, go but ahead seriously, then, seriously, Patrick. <laughs> no, sorry, Charles. Seriously, Patrick. Why are your elections so dull? It's not even interesting as much as the U.S. elections. <laughs> well, I don't think anything <laughs> need, can be as. You need to learn some showmanships from them. I don't think anything can be as quote unquote interesting <laughs> as the U.S. election. Honestly, we had the debate, the big debate, uh, a few days ago. And I watched it, it was three and a half hours, and I was so relieved that, of course, you know, we had a few moments where, where people <laughs> raised their voices and they were a little bit talking over one another. But overall, it was like people talking about issues, proposing uh, solutions, which were good or not, but discussing things in such a serious manner after having seen the... Uh, deplorable spectacle of the Brexit debate and the US election debates and you know the the discussions I was watching this and I was like even 
Marine Le Pen was like, I disagree with her vehemently, but she's, you know, she's exposing her views in a, in a way that makes sense. It's, it's crazy. And I was looking at all of the different candidates and I was looking, I was thinking each of them has something interesting to say. Each of them, I could take some of what they're saying and think, yes, that makes sense. And that would, you know, anyway, yes, it's not as interesting, quote unquote, as the U.S. <laughs> Uh, Charles, you wanted to say something. Oh, positively dull, really. Uh, the only <laughs> the only bit of news that makes it down to us, by and large, is that uh, Le Pen is doing uh, well or doing better than expected, but not likely to win, uh, which is pretty much consistent with what you said. But uh, being the uh, diligent person I am, I did a little bit of research and uh, found that there's an opinion poll that says that 43% of French voters are still undecided. That's staggering. It is, um, and it's you, very true. Is, and that's the sense that you get. So it, it, would you would you be guessing on an unexpected result? It could very much happen. I mean, we as we've seen, even when we have uh, polls until the last couple of days, or at least in the US, it, it, there was a, there could be an upset ultimately in the in the elections. So I don't know. But the thing is. As I mentioned before, there we vote a lot. Like we come in droves to vote, and it's not unusual that seventy or eighty percent uh, of the people come to to the polls, um, especially for the presidential elections. And I think what happened in the other countries was that the the people who are usually tipping the balance didn't show up and didn't vote. And I'm hoping that this isn't going to happen in France. So even with the undecided, uh, I think the undecided might tip it towards the Republican candidate. I don't see them tipping it towards the socialist candidate, but it might happen. It might even go to the extreme uh, left-wing candidate who surprisingly is uh, incredibly... Well, I, I shouldn't say incredibly popular is surprising, but he is such, he has so much charm. He's so clever. He's so genuine. Um, <laughs> he's crazy. <laughs> I mean, I would say he's crazy, even though there are many things that are interesting about what he's saying, but he's kind of, well, as I said, extreme, but so I don't think he will take it, but he, he is, if you want to give a middle finger to the establishment, he would way, be a way of doing it just like Trump was. Oh, and just like Marine Le Pen is. So I want to hope that things are going to be reasonable and we're going to elect the, the, the center guy. He has my preference because he, he's the one that seems the most measured and reasonable. Um, but oh, that's know. so 10 years ago, Patrick. <laughs> I know, right? Mm. And it feels like this is the last chance. If we elect him and he doesn't make things work, Next time, it's going to be the, yeah. uh, you know, one of the extremes. Turkey, you need to leave in 15 minutes. You just came to say hi. Um, so very quickly, Marlene, I'm wondering how, you, how you've um, been following the things in France, because, of course, with your elections, I'm guessing France is going to be the second act of, of uh, spring. Uh, and then we'll go to Turkey to uh, ask him what's been happening in his corner of the world. But first, Marlene. Yeah, I'll, I'll be quick to, to give him some time uh, as well. I always love his I love his stories. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, the Dutch definitely reveled in being like the first country to look at 
before France. Uh, we are a tiny country, and oh boy, did we love all that international attention. Um, I think uh, we... I, th I think there is definitely extra extra attention. We are a trading country. Uh, we are very much dependent on the European Union. So stability in the European Union is very important to us. And it also means that uh, uh, the rise of anti-EU sentiment has been very, very worrying for a particular uh, uh, part uh, of of Holland, especially in uh, in government. So yeah, I think we do see it, and I also think the dullness. I think it's just a matter of we have so many more parties. I mean, you you have many parties in France. We have plenty more in mm. Holland, uh, which means that it never ends up being such an extreme winner takes all two party races as it uh, as the system um, results in in the U.S. I think that's also part of it. There's always space for a measured opinion um, mm, in between yeah. the many voices, but that, that makes it less extreme, I think. That, yeah, I think that's the way it works out also in France, uh, because there are a lot of people who are very angry at many things, but it turns out since you have a lot of different voices, then you always manage to find, you know, the, the as I was saying, the strange things about the debate was that you, they all agree on a few things. You know, you have five different big positions and even the two extremes on the left and the right end up meeting in their kind of different degrees of hating the EU. You know, it's yeah. so you have those two extremes who hate each other who end up saying, yeah, yeah, I agree with this, what you're saying about this part of the thing. It's anyway. Um, all right. I did want to talk very quickly about uh, healthcare, but... I'm going to do that after we give, we've given a chance to Turkey to tell us what's happening in Saudi Arabia. Uh, Saudi Arabia. Well, not that much is happening that's worth newsworthy. Um, other than, uh, let's see, two main topics recently. One is not that important. The weather fluctuations. We had a lot of rain, a lot of sandstorms, and a lot of weather changing with, between cold and hot, so. What's your um, what's your opinion? That, what's the country's opinion on climate change? Just very quickly. On climate change, to be honest, I don't think anybody believes in it in here. Okay. <laughs> I think they're all Trump. I think the majority <laughs> here is Trump. All right, <laughs> nice, very much. <laughs> Keep in mind, we do live in a desert. People don't. The changes mostly when we get changes here, they're. The climate changes is hugely beneficial to us. That means more rain is moving to this, to our areas. So nobody's going to complain that much about climate change. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, I think the biggest news has been uh, the U.S. Uh, declaring uh, electronics bigger than a phone not allowed in a cabin for flights directly from, I think, what, eight country, Middle East countries direct to the U.S., That's the biggest thing people are talking about, and people are really going crazy over it. Did crazy you hear about angry? it? Angry? Yeah, yeah. Of course, I think. I mean, I because yeah. I follow tech, but yeah. So there. Yeah. To, to to summarize, basically, for uh, seven or eight countries, um, as you said, people can't take their 
electronics bigger than a phone in the main cabin they have to check it into the yeah. luggage and it was justified yeah. because uh the intel the intelligence community uh found credible threats of yeah. attacks being uh perpetrated by those means uh in and, okay. and the and, and the and, and there aren't adequate uh security controls in those countries that's the justification all for right it. all right here here here's the problems we're having All right, let's start with the problem number one. Let's say you put a, a bomb in your laptop. Are you telling me he can't blow it up if it's in the luggage, but he, uh, only if he has it in his hands? Are you asking me? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just saying. This is the first thing. If there was a real threat, why are they allowing it to go into the luggage and not allowing it into the cabin? That's their first problem with people here. Problem number two. One of the countries or the airports they're banning is... Abu Dhabi Airport, which flies Etihad. Abu Dhabi Airport, you actually go through pre-clearance. You actually go through immigration and customs, U.S. customs and U.S. immigration. So they are the ones who search you and check you. So are they telling us they don't trust their own people to do the right thing? So you have these two th things. And, and, and to be honest, most, most people, and this is the theory that's going around, that this is an agreement between Trump and the U.S. airlines who are really pissed at the Gulf Airlines, Qatar, Etihad, and Emirates because they're taking over a lot of their business. And this is one way to slow them down into with their business in, in uh, the U.S. So, so the, the, the impression is that this is a commercial punishment for... Yep. Mm. Yeah, yeah, because, because nobody is really understanding why is it okay to put in the luggage, but you can't carry it. Basically, if it was a security threat, they should have completely banned it. Second, why is no other country banning those? I've heard the UK is doing something similar. However, officially in Saudi, they haven't announced it in Saudi. And the UAE and Qatar are not on the list of the, the ban for UK. So you don't think the, <laughs> the idea that some of those airports don't have adequate security measures holds up? I I I try I I believe Saudi airports don't have adequate security measures. I use them. Mm. I have a huge problem believing Qatar, Abu Dhabi, and Dubai don't have a good security. And as I said, Abu Dhabi, you actually go through U.S. security. I guess so it could be they could yeah. they could estimate that you know other than the the passengers, there's also not adequate security for the 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 building, you know, the airport itself, maybe someone can infiltrate it somewhere else. Maybe there isn't, uh, you know, security for the people doing the work on the planes or, well, that wouldn't change if you can. Well, that, yeah, that, that yeah, doesn't that, affect yeah, they, the they would just smuggle it in. The, uh, the, yeah. Yeah, so, so there's so much illogic in, in this ban that people are just wondering, what is it really about? And most people actually think it's a commercial thing. It's, it's one way to fight these airlines that have been expanding like crazy and taking away a lot of business. And everybody, if you follow the airline industry, all, all the big U.S. carriers have been complaining to Congress and to the U.S. government about these airlines entrenching on them, taking a lot of their market share and so on, and accusing them of being supported financially by their governments and and, and so on. So that's, that's that's basically the problem. So the number one thing here right now, people are... If you go anywhere, that's what they're talking about, this ban. It's annoying a lot of people. It's pissing a lot of people off. And I, I, if you go and check airlines like, I think, 
and and some of them are taking it into good faith. Uh, Royal Jordanian has been posting uh, sarcastic poems about the ban, <laughs> making fun of it on their Twitter and Facebook accounts. Uh, you, uh, Emirates Airlines has uh, done two things. One, they made uh, an advertisement. You don't need a laptop. We have all the entertainment you need in our entertainment system, <laughs> advertisement. Uh, they have initiated a system where you can have your laptop with you until the moment you board. Then someone will check it for you at the gate. So that's one thing they're doing there. So people are reacting in different ways, but it's, it's, it's really troubling that they picked specific airports, they picked specific airlines, and... None of them are very known or common to have known that they had any popular uh, terrorist attacks against airplanes in those countries. Well, except maybe Egypt. Yeah, right. I guess the idea yeah. is to take action before those happen. But, yeah. But no, yeah. I, I understand. I so, mean, it definitely, huh. the, the issue here is you have to take it on faith that this is the reason and that there is justifiable evidence uh, behind that reason. But what you're saying is you're, you know, in the media and the people, no one believes it. Basically, it's... it's yeah, the, and, 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 the second, and the second theory is, since they're allowing people to check their luggage, with their luggage, their electronics, some people are theorizing, okay, that's the actual reason. They want to have to easy access without us knowing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, you gotta love a good conspiracy theory. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, you should you should visit Saudi. We love conspiracy <laughs> theories here in this country. I mean, as far as conspiracy <laughs> theories go, go um, the bugging might be a little bit extreme, but it doesn't seem. I mean, oh, have you listened to the U.S. president recently? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen right. WikiLeaks recently? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I guess it's it's kind of hard to claim that. Uh, your tower was bugged and then say that bugging is, you know, a conspiracy theory. Um, uh, all right. Cool. That, that, was, that was actually uh, pretty interesting. Thank you very much, Turkey. No um, problem. All right. So I really have to run. It was a pleasure joining you guys. Thanks I'm for... sorry I couldn't stay longer and chat with all of you. Thank you for being <laughs> here anyway, taking the time. And uh, no give your wife uh, hugs for me. Will do. Take care. You too. All Thanks, right? Turkey. Take care. Yeah. Bye. See you, Turkey. Take care, all. Bye. All right. Um, so now that the uh, annoying Turkey is gone, uh, we can have no. serious conversations. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're going to come back to to Europe in a little bit with Marlene. Um, I did want to mention healthcare very quickly because it struck me when I was listening to the debates in France that no one um, in in our political spectrum would even consider the kind of health care that uh, the, the Republican Party is proposing in the mm -hmm. U.S. And I have the impression that it's the same all over Europe. And I don't know what the situation is in Australia, um, but definitely in Japan and other any other uh, uh, first world country I know of, we have the kind of health care which is basically single pay payer, Um, or at least universal healthcare for sure. Yeah. And right, that's the case in Australia as well, I guess. Uh, 
to make it simple, yes, uh, there, there is there is universal healthcare available. There is um, some cost to to a user, depending on what the service is. So, for the sake of the argument, you can go to a general practitioner, and 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 you can find one that will claim your visit against uh, Medicare, which is what the uh, healthcare mm-hmm. system is called, um, or you can go to one that charges you a fee, and you get some or all of that uh, as as a rebate. Um, same sort of structure applies for uh, for uh, hospital visits. You can you can go public or private. If you've got private insurance, then then uh, that affects how you go. But fundamentally, there is universal um, health care. What's interesting is that um, a, a succession of conservative governments have have made overtures about uh, stripping back the uh, the benefits under Medicare and uh, asking for more payment from the consumer, quoting. Um, you know, ageing population, rising healthcare costs, unsustainable budget costs, so on and so forth. Uh, and, and that has consistently not been uh, something that's been supported by the general population and, and a fairly easy one to argue against. Um, mm. If political well, will changes, though, that might change. I think there are definitely differences and debates and... and um, uh, you know, variations in all of the implementations of healthcare. I mean, in France, you don't get money for everything. Like you can't get your glasses or dental care is relatively poor unless you have an additional um, healthcare provider, which is also heavily regulated. We have a mutuelle, which are, which provide you with additional things that you, but you have to pay for it uh, if you want it. So basically universal healthcare is kind of basic but it ensures that if you get really sick, you will get the care you need. Um, and then if you want glasses or, you know, your <laughs> teeth uh, tended to, then you'd better take additional. Um, I mean, the, the essential things are, are going to be done. And the reason I'm mentioning it is that I've had a couple of conversations with people on Twitter arguing that healthcare should be a choice. Subscribing to healthcare should be a choice that individuals make. And that to me seems beyond the scope of the healthcare you want to have in place. This really sounds like an incredibly strange idea to me because the it, it goes beyond. And honestly, I really hope that people uh, listening to this from the US will trust me when I say this, or at least understand what I mean and I know it's difficult because it's so polarized in the U.S., but this goes beyond political leanings. It's not about being a Republican or a Democrat. The principle of healthcare doesn't work if you can choose to opt into it or not. It is ridiculous. Of course, you know, someone who is healthy uh, will say, well, I don't want healthcare, but uh, might say this, but ultimately... It's not about, you know, I choose this and then if I need it, well, you know, I'm I'm going to be I'm going to be uh, <laughs> cursing here. So cover your children's <laughs> ears. But you can't say, well, I'm, I'm not going to subscribe. And then if I get sick, I'm fucked. No, you're not fucked. Of course, we have to take care of you. You know, as a society, we're not like this isn't hyperbole, but we're not going to let you die in the street. Right. This isn't being hyperbolic. It's literally, if you get cancer, we're not going to let you die in the street. It's, again, I'm repeating, it's not hyperbole. 
you without healthcare, you die in you know in the street or your home or whatever. And we can't let you. I mean, the result is that you get bankrupt or you get uh, you know you 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 pay so much money that you don't have to enough to pay for ultimately more than the care uh, more than that and you still need the care or maybe you're healed and you're bankrupt either you know i guess if you have enough uh with selling your house to pay for your healthcare that could be considered well you made the choice and now you live in the street or you're poor Fine, that's a choice, but really, a lot of the time, it costs more, and that's because healthcare is indeed expensive. But just in the same way that police is expensive, education is expensive, military is expensive, and I, I really think it's reasonable to think that healthcare is in that same realm of infrastructure where you need everyone to chip in because if the healthy don't chip in, then obviously the sick don't have enough. And it is something that everyone is concerned about. If you're healthy now, I mean, in your life, there's a very good chance that you and almost a certainty chance that one of your, uh, the, the people near you are going to be impacted and are going to need healthcare. This isn't like, well, if I ever need to, you know, go to the moon, then I'll figure it out at this point. It's not this, this incredible scenario. You are going to need healthcare. So, and I'm saying this as looking at it, not just from Europe, but I really think from the rest of the civilized world, like the rest of the, the, the first world countries. Healthcare is infrastructure. It's like police. It's like firefighters. It's like military. It's like all of this. You need everyone to chip in or it just does not work it it can't work if you if your reasoning is ah oh, well you know let people decide what they want to pay so, or if they want to pay right patrick yes um, am i correct correct in uh, in in understanding that this uh, struck a nerve with you <laughs> <laughs> you know what strikes a nerve with me is mm -hmm. that this is considered it it seems like it shouldn't be a partisan issue. Yeah, it I really understand. shouldn't. I, I understand you know? that, yeah. and that's why no, it's, it's not the, even it's, it's not even. Uh, uh, you could debate uh, abortion. You could debate the death penalty as partisan issues, but really, this shouldn't be one. Uh, so I'm I'm wondering if you know I'm I'm going overboard and you guys disagree with me, but uh, Marlene, what do you think? Is this should this no, not I, be a discussion? I, think it's, I don't know. I, I, I think it's on the it's, logics uh, of it, you know, on the logics yeah, of yeah, everyone. Definitely. It doesn't work if if you're if the argue, the argue, because the argument on the right in the U.S. is well, I should be allowed to decide whether or not I pay, and my response is well, you can't decide whether or not you pay for the police, and the question is, is it the same thing? For me, it's yeah. Obvious to it to me, to me, it absolutely is. And what I find interesting is, um, I think. I think that um, also in the U.S., as in other Western uh, countries, uh, uh, probably far beyond that as well, um, if you have a car, uh, you must have car insurance. Right. And I find it completely fascinating that exactly as you say, as this, um, this notion seems to be so divisive in the States, um, uh, which indeed to me also seems like a completely 
um, uh, um, basic feature that a healthy state should facilitate. And I'm and and I mean you can debate then in what form and in what way and what system and in all these things and what should be covered and what shouldn't be covered. Um, but in the basics, in, on just the basic rationale that it only works like any insurance, like like home insurance, like car insurance, like all these things only work if if we all chip in. That, that's that's the entire basis of it. And you know, you don't have to buy car insurance if you don't have a car. Makes total sense. But that's a little like that's a problem when it comes to health. Because you are alive. <laughs> you <laughs> you the, will at some point, you know, need something. I think the argument would be, yeah, but with car insurance, it's also it also insures you against damages you might do to someone else. Whereas yeah, which with you healthcare... Also do when you get sick. Because indeed, when you get sick and you don't have health, health insurance, you will still be taken care of. And that right. is pushing a large cost mm. on society. Uh, Charles, what about you? Is it also somewhat logical to think that everyone should should like chip in? Just like again with the police, with the state doesn't ask you, "Hey, do you want to be protected by the police, or are you good with being robbed?" Like, no, you you you're not asked. You're like you pay because you live in this society. I would um, I, I would love to mount an argument that uh, disagrees with you just for the fun of it, but <laughs> it's very, very late and my brain can't do that right now. Um, I, I, I completely agree. I, mm. I, I think it's, it's in, in, in a society that is economically strong enough to support a healthcare system, then it is a given that that is provided we talk about you, you mentioned the, the the car analogy and uh, and said that uh, you know that makes some sense because or it can be argued that that also ensures you against damaging others in the situation where for the sake of the argument the primary income owner of a household suffers uh, as a result of um, you know an illness or injury the health insurance system or the healthcare system does exactly what car insurance does. It protects their family from loss of income, potentially loss of house, loss of lifestyle, loss of so much. So that insurance that is a health insurance has flow-on effects not just to the individual but to everybody in their network, whether it be their employer or indeed their employees, if they're an employer, their family, their friends, so on and so forth. So that idea of extended protection... So Societal protection certainly exists for healthcare just as much as it does for car insurance. It's a brilliant analogy. Well, it's uh, if nothing else, I know a lot of people uh, who listen are from the US. If nothing else, and even if you disagree, uh, do realize that this is apparently the opinion of you know us. And yes, bias, whatever you want. Leading liberals, <laughs> you know, I really don't think, and that's what what I what I was getting from in the beginning, no one on the political spectrum here, you might have people arguing we should, you know, slow, bring it back a little bit or not uh, ensure this thing as much or maybe get people to pay, pay a little bit when they uh, do get benefits from the healthcare system or these kinds of things. But that's as far as it goes. And as far as I know, 
That's the case in every, again, first world country. It's interesting. I was talking about this with a guy on Twitter and I was saying, oh, you know, this is incredible. That's how it's working. I don't understand it. And they were getting angry at me and saying, oh, but you know, this, this uh, Obamacare is crap. And I was like, uh, okay, uh, but why, how? And then he was like, yes, but Trump care is crap. And I was like, okay, so what do you want? And he's like, well, I'm a libertarian and I think this is one of the few things that is so essential to societies, it should be part of infrastructure. And I was like, what? So we agree. <laughs> and, and it was funny because uh, if, if they're listening, hey, thanks for keeping the conversation. It started off really heated. And as usual, you know, when I keep going in those heated conversations and trying to find out why it's so heated, uh, we ended up to a, a, an agreement. But what what that person said was it's probably the only thing we'll ever agree on because I'm a libertarian. <laughs> I have, you know, very different opinions than you probably, but on this thing, I agree, you know, it's essential. And so it was funny. It was a funny anecdote, but um, <laughs> yeah. And, and anyway, so you guys in America have in the U S have had a lot of debate about this. And I, I really think if, if there is, you know, three things that could be taken out of the, political divide debate, I really think this would be one of it and probably at the top. Because the way you're talking about all of this is honestly doesn't make sense. It is crazy. And it is it has become crazy because of the political divide that you guys live in. Um, so anyway, that was our my our take on it. Um, let's get back to crazy European politics with Marlene and what the hell happened in, uh, in the Netherlands? Yeah. So, um, if, if I may be so, uh, uh, blunt and, and throw you guys a little, um, what have you heard that happened in Holland? <laughs> uh, so there was a guy who was basically like Trump and Le Pen and he was supposed to win the election, but that he didn't. So people were happy. Okay, Charles, good. what about Charles, you? What's yeah. your summary? <laughs> it, um, it saddens me to say that, um, we, it was not reported. Oh my <laughs> Lord. Oh boy! Now, personally aware of the um, uh, uh, oh gosh, I can't, but I can't remember his name. But I was personally aware of the far right candidate mm -hmm. and 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 uh, and the the apparent uh, momentum that that, that he had, um, and and but that was a story that I heard on radio going back a couple of months. The actual results, I didn't hear any reporting on at all. All right, all right. fair enough. We're a very long way away. Yeah, you, you definitely are. And there will be many, many, many things uh, that are incredibly important in Australia that, that do not filter through here. So I, that's, that's completely uh, understandable. Um, I also understand that it was reported in France, indeed, because uh, I, I think... Um, uh, We're as, drawing uh, parallels. With... Yeah, there, there's a lot of parallels being drawn. And, and so, also it is Act 3 of the four or five or six acts of... Yeah. Uh, nationalism in the world so yeah yeah the next populism domino was supposed exactly. to uh was supposed to uh, go so yeah so th indeed th the big question was um uh will will the next uh populism uh victory be won in uh in holland 
and um, the um, I think many many uh, international but also Dutch uh, analysis initially reported no see we halted it uh, we stopped it because uh, indeed the the far right candidate um, the party from Geert Wilders. Uh, who you can just call Wilders. I know Geert is really difficult. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Anytime I hear someone speak Dutch, it feels um, strange. It's all graag, blag, blag. It's very, very interesting. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. So, uh, so Wilders' party did... Um, uh, he, he did not win a majority. And he did not become the largest party. Um, so so in this was case, a parliamentary election, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm right. sorry. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. Yes. Yeah. So in in Holland, we do not pick our um, uh, our prime minister. We uh, vote for our parliament and only for um, uh, like the, the the House of Parliament, the second chamber. Uh, it has 150 members, and um, it is a, a representative democracy that is proportional, which means that if you get uh, on the day of the election, 150th uh, of the vote, you will get one seat in parliament. So there's basic. So that's the threshold. The threshold is 150th of all the votes that have been cast. The result of this, uh, and th- and there's not like a second round as with the presidential elections in France. Mm. So the result of this um, is that uh, I think. I think basically since the oh um, this is a difficult guess I think since the like the 80s or 90s um, what happened is that the major parties um, have continued to splinter and splinter and splinter and splinter there were during these elections there were 28 different parties on our ballot 28 28. After, yeah, after the show, I'll I'll tweet um, a picture of the actually the actual ballot. It is a joke, honestly. It is more than one square meter of paper. Wow, that's a bit like our Senate ballot paper oh, out yeah. here. So, does it mean that on uh, for the Senate ballot, you also vote like you can vote just like the first? the the first name on top of the list of your party but you can also pick a different person by name uh yeah so of the gosh i don't know let's punt and say there are about 80 or so candidates on the senate ballot paper which by the way is done by state so there's what six seven states so each state has a similar similar number of candidates to choose from you can you can either pick one 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 party or one candidate from above the line and then their preferences are applied to all the other candidates or you can go through the somewhat laborious task of putting a number against each of the uh, candidates below the line um, which I don't think anyone does but I but I could be completely wrong um, they made a slight change to that in the last election which meant that you could actually preference one to five of what they call above the line um, but uh, but the other option is to pick individual candidates by your own preferential system so it sounds quite similar in a way yeah indeed it does sound quite similar so all these people must be uh uh, on the ballot and in the end indeed uh 13 different parties um uh, were uh instated in the new um uh the new second chamber which was just uh instated uh, yesterday Uh, i think all the members were uh were instated there was a really 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 big shift 
um, um, mainly because um, uh, 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 one of the really one of the biggest parties, which has been one of the biggest parties since forever, um, is um, the Labour Party, and it had thirty-nine seats, and it now has nine. So that was an incredible loss, um, and basically many, many other, probably all other parties won because all those vo votes were dispersed amongst all these other, other different uh, uh, parties. Mm. Um, in I, Holland, we well, have a, uh, a um, um, we call it the <laughs> uh, a polder model, <laughs> which is named after all our, um, uh, how we, we create uh, land from water. Uh, okay. So it only works if we all work together. Uh, so it's all based on consensus. So no party will ever get the majority. Um, uh, so if you want the majority, so that's 76 out of 150. So you just have to collect and negotiate with other parties to come to a coalition government. What a strange idea. It it yeah. it probably wouldn't work anywhere else, or I guess it works in many other places. But uh, so basically, the now the the right wing party that what his name uh, Wilders, okay, what, yeah. Wilders. Let's go with his uh, last name. Yeah. Um, but it, it's not like he was completely defeated, right? He still no. got. What he, was it? He's the second, the second biggest? largest party, right? Yeah. So it's not like he didn't win-win but it, was he predicted to get he wasn't predicted to get 70 uh, 76 uh, seats anyway so no what was predicted is that he um up until i think two weeks before the election it was predicted that it would be uh, uh, a two-way race between the liberal um the conservative oh man there <laughs> uh the economically um, a liberal yet socially conservative party. The, <laughs> yeah. So right know, wing, basically. Yeah, it, it's it's. Uh, I think it's it's uh, it's right wing. Uh, you could. They're probably the most Republican party that okay. we have. Uh, so between them and, and Wilders. Yeah, and 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 Wilders. That that would be uh, the two way race. Um, the other party is the one uh, who we've had as a prime minister for the past few years. That party still uh, was the largest now, even though they also uh, lost 10 seats. Okay. So, so all the large parties lost. But where those votes went um, is um, the reason Wilders didn't really lose, or rather that populism didn't lose, is that that conservative party um, has gotten more and more right-wing in the past few years in an attempt to stop losing votes to Wilders. You know, that's um, what's happening in France as well. The Republican Party um, and the candidate here is veering farther to the, to the extreme right. He's not quite, you know, uh, as far as Le Pen is, but he's certainly doing what you're talking about as well. Yeah. The, one of the other largest party, parties, the Christian uh, the Christian uh, uh, Democrats, um, they also turned more right. And sometimes like just putting in like little things like, you know, children should start singing the anthem again when they start day in school. Like, you know, mm. like sort of seemingly 
uh, not as evil po populist notions, but they all try to sort of reach toward those really right-wing uh, voters. And the problem is that all of that still uh, continues. Um, there's another party uh, who got into a, a new party by a guy call, uh, called Thierry Baudet. He had two votes uh, or um, uh, two seats in parliament. He is insane. Like if you thought like um, uh, the, the quotes by Trump about how to treat women, uh, the whole grab them by the pussy thing. If you thought that was weird and evil, this guy is, goes way beyond that. And he's still like, gets two seats in parliament. So the entire political spectrum has got, has turned more to the right. The Labour Party used to be the big, big left, uh, like sort of the central left party. And it, it almost always ended up in government. That has been like completely broken down from about 40 to 10 seats. Um, on the other hand, there have been other parties on the left um, or uh, center left that have won, but their, uh, their winnings have not been as great as the loss of the Labour Party. Mm. So what do you think happened? Maybe I think for, for people listening outside of the country, why do you think that that uh, assured quote-unquote victory of bec becoming the biggest party in the country for uh, Wilders, why do you think it didn't materialize? Uh, one of them, I think, is, is just polls, you know. Polls being wrong polls as they saying. were. Yeah, and, and they developed. Um, some other parts is that he has, he has been, the, like, the, the last two weeks before the election, I personally did not see as many, um, uh, like, as many outings of his party. Um, the problem is he doesn't have, he's, he's a one-man party. Like, like political parties, they always have like a list of, um, of members, uh, you, you know, really big uh, um, uh, uh, member groups. But his party has only two members, himself and um, an organization that he is the chair of. So that means that like just in the organizational structure, nobody else gets to make like actually like real decisions and stand for things. He hardly has any other uh, people from his party that are of course in his name in parliament, um, for example, reaching out and doing interviews. So I think that is one of the things he, he, so he, he didn't have the media set up to follow up on his popularity. Yeah. Which is strange because like Trump, he has always been a person that the media just, because they were fascinated with his weirdness. Um, like, you know, he always could count on the media, like listening to him, but he has, he has not changed his, his, um, his story one bit. He just kept saying the same things. And I think the media halfway through, you know, after all these years said, you know, that's what he said. It's what he always said. It's just not newsworthy anymore. Mm. So the way he normally could uh, could pull media towards him, I think that has changed a little. That's very interesting. So what you're saying is it seems like it has more to do with uh, a media strategy and communication strategy maybe than his, you know, the country awakening to the, you know, 
terribleness of the policies he was proposing. I mean, I'm sure there there was some uh, public opinion being expressed in the in the votes. Thank thank God. Um, mm -hmm. But there's also this element you're saying of of just exposure. Yeah, I think exposure is one thing. But the other thing is he is. Um, Amongst many people, he's notorious for not having any policy ideas. Oh, his entire, okay, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah. So, so what, does he, what does he say? That, is, yeah. He has his entire political program fits on like one piece of paper, just one, one piece of paper. And it includes a lot of things. It has like 11 bullets. Uh, and it includes a lot of things that are just not possible, possible because of our constitution. Like um, uh, uh, closing mosques and banning the Quran. Banning you the Quran, can, yeah, like that's one of his he, bullet points. That's one of his That's one of its bullet points. And if you then ask him, how are you trying going to try to implement this? Because first of all, you're not even allowed to make that policy by the constitution. Mm. It's like, well, you know, we all know, everybody knows how I plan to do stuff. Well, n no. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> and so, I think I, that meant that all he could do was sort of rehash those eleven points, mm. and then whenever there came a follow-up question, he didn't have an answer. And and so I guess there are two things that uh, jump to me uh, with this description. First of all, uh, he seems to not be ready for political office at all. He has as you're saying, more controversial ideas that are sexy, uh, but not anything beyond that, which is not the case for our uh, situation. Mm -hmm. Marine Le Pen has a very apt political uh, uh, mind. And the other thing is, he still became the second biggest party in your elections, yeah. even with those things you're you're describing of not being able to follow through to follow his uh, his ideas in in and develop them, he's still the second biggest party. Yeah, so, and that's and that's a problem. And not only is he the second biggest party, but he was able to pull the entire political spectrum to the right in the past right. years. Mm. He has yep. tried to govern uh, before, indeed, also with that uh, with our conservative party, the VVD. Um, uh, and um, almost all the other parties have said we will never be in a coalition with builders because we cannot agree on basic rules. Mm. Um, so, so, so that's a problem. But also, his populism has splintered, just like, uh, like, just like the votes for the left have splintered over many different parties. Um, because the other parties have turned more to the right, because we have uh, newer, uh, smaller parties uh, than builders um, uh, gaining uh, seats, even if it's just two seats, you know, it chips away at what he could have uh, considered uh, his seats based on right. his um, story. How, so, how do you think this will impact on the way that The, the, that the Netherlands is actually governed? Will it make a change to, to policy or was this uh, sort of veering to the right uh, simply for election purposes? No, I, it's a really interesting question. So um, what's going to happen now is in fact much more exciting than the actual elections if you're slightly politically inclined. 
yeah. because that is a forming of coalitions. <laughs> yeah, so, so I, I, I'm, uh, Builders doesn't have the numbers to make a coalition, clearly. Oh. I guess well, if, he has yeah, the numbers. If, um, but if but no, if, no, if no, no one wants to work with him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that was my point. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Uh, poorly stated, but uh, you mentioned that, that, that he didn't have support to make a coalition. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But the problem is because the part the um, uh, the system has been so so incredibly fractured, um, almost nobody has. Um, it used to be quite normal, like it ha- uh, it has been quite common in our history that two parties together would have enough votes to form a majority coalition. Um, until it, it, more recently, you know, it would have been three parties. But there is, in fact, at this moment, no no real situation of even three parties being able to have a majority. They mm. need four. Interesting. And that means that everything is going to splinter. So what we see now is that so the coalition talks have actually started. We have our our um, our uh, conservative uh, party, sort of Republican style. Uh, we have um, our uh, uh, green left. Uh, party there's well clearly they're on the left and they have a high uh, <laughs> and they they put um, uh, the environment as at a very you know big priority um, clearly those two are basically polar opposites mm. um, then we have uh, um, uh, Democrat 66 which is a center is a progressive party but is um, it, it's liberally no it's socially progressive and economically economically centrist uh and and then uh we have the christian democrats so those four <laughs> they're basically all over the spectrum but but, yeah. but it's how still can they the even... only viable combination yeah that is so the the the, the labor party won't join with the um no, with indeed. the uh, christian democrats here yeah? mm. no no they won't because um they have been they've been they've been struck down so hard that basically Ooh. everybody's saying, you know, you should really try to find some new ground and develop a program because they were they were actually in government with the, with the Conservative Party in the past four years. Mm. Uh, so what? Mm. And, and those were just the two of them together, and they had a majority. And the um, together they almost lost forty seats. <laughs> so. It's insane. Yeah, yeah. On, on 150, that's incredible. So it's so not like... 25% of the parliament. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, yeah. it's not like, you know, it's true that for us, the way it was reported on was, yay, the populists were defeated. And it's, it, it really feels like the... Actually, the the what you're talking about, which is he manages he managed to uh, push the entire spectrum to the right. I don't know, you know, I don't know that it's him, but there's certainly kind of his shadow is all over Europe yeah. and maybe all yeah. over the world. But the I wonder how much of this is in a way democracy working because. Possibly because of terrorism, and we always get back to that, but possibly because of terrorism, the concern for these matters is present in the population, you know? And it's not necessarily that the way we look at it is, oh, Le Pen is doing this, and Builders is doing that, and Trump is... 
it that is true to an extent, but there's also it's also them responding to the reality of the opinions. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, the way I would put it, being affected successfully by terrorism by the terrorists' intent, which is make you cause afraid, make you yeah. yeah, cause fear, and and you know we were talking about the the attacks in London and people reacting maybe a little bit more um, uh, rationally to those, and hopefully this will continue, but. Yeah, basically, which is it? Are they the ones igniting the fires? I mean, are they, you know, the, the populist parties, are they igniting the fires? Or are they growing because they have the, the hot air created by the fires under them? This analogy is breaking down. No, <laughs> I, I, I actually don't think it's breaking down. I, I think you're completely right. I think it's, I think it's both. Because what we have seen that the left, and I think that goes all around Europe, what the left have, has always been saying these past years is i know you're afraid but you don't have to be afraid mm. but if you really are afraid it's really not helpful if somebody tells you you don't have to be afraid mm. that, that's just not addressing even if the like the even if the source of fear uh may be incorrect i'm, I'm not even saying it is but it may be incorrect the the uh, feeling of the fear uh in that person is real so right. you have to deal with the real fear and i think the left has has done far too little of that it's really funny because when you're saying this it reminds me very clearly of what uh was it newt gingrich uh, was saying during the uh run-up to the election in the u.s the journalists were telling him you know ah oh, but the situation is this and that and he was saying yeah, yeah but that's not how people feel and and basically mm. it it wasn't put exactly like this but his reaction was i think it was gingrich but his reaction yeah, I, was yeah i remember the, the yeah, segment it, it was a famous segment that was retweeted a lot saying oh but how can he say this but i think what we've learned since then and what you're echoing again is that what that the feeling no matter whether or not it's based on reality can be a powerful platform and is real so yeah. I don't know that, that uh, I don't have a solution for any of this, but yeah, sorry, but, Charles. Uh, Charles, you, you were asking like, what will the, the consequence be of this? Um, mm. there... I, I'm particularly interested in whether that means that policy in government will also shift to the right or whether we can just say, right, this is what we had to do to get elected, to form a coalition, to do whatever. So now let's just get back to governing the Netherlands the way we think it should be governed. No, I'm afraid that's not going to happen. And that we had, um, I think it was 2001, when we had a political assassination of a man called Pim Fortuyn. Um, it was also very internationally covered uh, back then. He was... Um, yeah, we got that one, by the way. Yeah, you got that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was one of the first populists, I think, uh, that really uh, made a statement in, in Holland. And one of the things he used to say... Um, addressing immigration uh, was our country is full. Back then, if you would, if you'd say that, that was like that was like an incredible. You couldn't say that. It was like cursing, like political cursing. It was. It, you could just not say our country is full. It, it was degrading. It was. You know, it was bad in every way. F right full now, as in we can't welcome any more immigrants. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. It's full. We will close down the borders. Uh, you know, we cannot take any more. Mm. Um, right now, 
nobody in, in you know, none of those 150 uh, 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 MPs would even blink at that statement. So what you see that the entire discourse, even though uh, populists have rarely actually governed, the entire discourse has changed. Um, and I think it will have an effect. For this time, it's interesting because the conservatives can only really enter a coalition with really progressive left parties. So I'm hoping that will middle out. <laughs> um, yeah. We'll I think it has. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was thinking it. It ha also had another effect that I didn't see coming, and I, I know it, this is one that's close to your heart as well, uh, Patrick, because um, you know the number of women in parliament has you know is is always a measure of emancipation of of women uh, within a society, a parliamentary society, um, and um, it turns out that I think. Uh, we were at about 70 out of, um, or like 65 out of 150, and we're now back to just over 50 <laughs> from one election. And that's yeah. the result of the loss of the Labour Party, because they had an almost 50-50 um, uh, 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 gender uh, mix on their, uh, right, within right. their party, um, yeah. amongst their MPs. And the more right-wing parties have considerably less women on their list. So, All right. Well, this is going to be an interesting one to follow. Um, and certainly the, um, it, it gives a certain light or shadow on uh, the future of, you know, I, I was going to say France, but Europe, really. So, um, yeah, it gives pause. Yeah. All right. Uh, and, and actually, before we go to Charles for what's been happening on the other uh, side of the world, um, there is a very strong, I think I expressed it, I expressed it last time on the show, but there is a very strong sentiment uh, amongst people who are voting uh, for a, a very strong left-leaning socialist policy. Uh, there is a very strong feeling that governing in the middle is what is bringing the far right to power, uh, yeah. meaning that it is not dealing with the, I, I don't agree with it, but it's saying we've tried all of this before. It's not working. We have more inequalities, more unemployment, more poverty, and that's what's fueling the rise of the extremes. And my issue with it is that I'm not sure their policies would tackle these issues more adequately than others. But that's, you know, my own opinion. And I, I think there is merit to the idea, or at least, you know, it should give people pause and, and get them to think about it a little bit in the argument that, you know, we've been doing these center, center right, center left policies for 20, 30 years, and we're still on the same path. There's, yeah. it, it's understandable that people would say, well, there's no reason that this would change if we keep doing the same thing. And that's one of the reasons why some people are saying, well, I'm not going to vote if the option at the election is between center-right and far-right. F yeah. all of them, you know, they just let, let, let them break everything and we'll see what happens afterwards because I know that if I keep going with this and my response is, well, <laughs> just like you had the issue with any, all of these previous elections, if your option is to keep stabbing yourself in the foot or take the knife to your gut and your heart 
the gut and the heart being the far right. I, mm-hmm. I say you keep the least bad option. And mm-hmm. some people have been telling me, yeah, but how long do you keep this going? And, I, and my response is, if the other option is, you know, the extreme populism, which I honestly don't think would be beneficial in any way, would be very mm-hmm. detrimental to, yeah. well, you keep doing it forever if you have to. That's my answer. You know, you, you, you don't think, well, I'm tired of it and I stop. No. You keep going until the end of forever if you have to. And that's why I... Anyway, all right. Patrick is getting heated. Uh, Charles, hey, what's been happening in Australia? At a different time and place, Patrick, I'll have a long rant with you about the nature and failing of democracy in the current uh, political environment. But now is not the time. Well, you know, we're having very strong arguments about this in our... uh, political discourse in during the debates that's you know one of the reasons i'm saying the discussion is uh refreshingly thankfully adult about this you know we have people mm-hmm. asking for a new republic we have people arguing about the way the constitution should be uh put together the way people should govern um and we have people defending the uh well i mean yeah we have different debates and ideas and everything is mostly respectful so debates have actually been about policy a lot of it surprisingly that's a change and and you know the only thing disagreement simply for the sake of disagreeing oh there is some of it as well of course i think there is some of it on principle um and and there is also a lot of debate about the the republican candidate uh being quote unquote corrupt, which I don't think if I'm being a hundred percent honest, it's not the worst corruption you've ever heard in your life, right? It's things like he employed as we said, he employed his wife and that made him he quote unquote employed his wife. That made him a few hundred thousand euros, maybe a million, you know, over the course of twenty years. And he got fifty thousand euros in in uh costumes from a friend and these kinds of things, which are bad, of course. And I think the awakening of French society to these things is gonna be positive in the in the long run because we're gonna be like like a proper adult country, hopefully, and have some ethical rules in place that make us not be ashamed when we look at the Nordic countries. Maybe, you know, that's going to lead there. Um, so these discussions are also happening, and they the, one of the arguments is these are obscuring policy discussions. But the, polici- the policy discussions are also happening, and yeah. they are respectful for the most part. Good. Right. Yes. Uh, Australia. Well, when, when I knew I was going to do this, I thought I'd flick on the news, and so I did. And I turned on one of the um, commercial news stations, and the lead story, I kid you not, was about an aged stage and screen actor who uh, hasn't really appeared for very long and who had just come out of hospital and uh, was okay but may not act again. Okay, so that sounds we're not, we're not exactly in 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 a, in a high sort of um, import news cycle at the moment, it would seem, um, and, and and it takes a bit of digging to find something. I'm going to give you two options, and and I'll get you to choose. Do you want to hear about the day that Elon Musk came to town to solve our nation's power problems, or do you want to hear about uh, potential changes to our racial vilification laws? 
Those both seem interesting. Uh, the Elon Musk thing. Neither of them are, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> uh, the Elon, the Elon Musk, Musk thing was the Twitter is, deal, right? Yeah. Uh, he, yeah. He tweeted, right. has that gone beyond the promise of we can do it? And uh, if you want it, just let me know. Uh, well, yes and no. Uh, he hasn't been taken up on that offer. Okay. However, um, uh, the, the, something quite similar, as in a battery farm and indeed a gas-fired power plant are going to be put in place. But to give you a bit of background on this, um, late last year, so we're talking about a state here, South Australia, and South Australia has one of the highest proportions of renewable energy generation in the world. It took a coal-fired power station offline last year quite suddenly and, and, uh, and relied on renewables basically being wind and solar to generate a fair chunk of its energy. Late last year, uh, there was a uh, fairly significant storm which damaged some of the uh, power supply infrastructure. Nothing to do with the source of energy, but it caused a, a pretty catastrophic blackout in the capital of South Australia being Adelaide and, and, and areas around there. Our current federal government, which supports fossil fuel energy, um, pointed the political finger at them and said, see, this is what happens when you go to renewables. You can't rely on the energy. And, mm. uh, and, and that, that sort of bubbled along for a bit. Um, whereas the state government was saying, no, hang on, hang on. This was, this was about the infrastructure failure. It's nothing to do with the generation of the power. However, in February of this year, um, after a pretty long and extensive heat wave, which happens quite a bit in South Australia, to be frank, um, they started having brownouts because the, the energy generation, in fact, wasn't meeting the demand. And that was, in fact, as a direct result of the slightly intermittent supply that comes with renewables, particularly solar and wind. Mm. Um, and that was the point at which Elon came in and said, I can fix your power problems. I'll do it in 100 days or it's free. Mm. Um, and, so the and idea so was the, you would you would get the batteries and store the energy you need when it's not being used. That's right. And then because there's enough on average, is this that when there the the spikes, uh, then the production spike. is okay. Yep. Yeah. So so that's the idea. But what this discussion has actually done is it sort of the lifted the lid on a whole range of of, of um, energy. Uh, issues that, that are starting to materialise. So you might remember that I said that uh, one of the solutions in South Australia was to have a gas-fired, natural gas-fired power station that would that would help the on-demand on capacity. Since that, that was put forward, it's turned out that Australia actually has a fair amount of natural gas resource, but it turns out that we're not actually keeping it. We're sending most of it overseas. We're selling it. And, and so having made the plan to put a gas-fired power station in place to, to, to help meet demand, the question was then, well, where are you going to get the gas from? Because we're not actually selling it to ourselves. We're selling it overseas. So that's created a, a whole issue around what we're doing with our own national resources, or natural resources, rather. Um, the other piece is that uh, in, in the state that, that, that I live in, which is Victoria, um, we are either fortunate or unfortunate, depending on your perspective, to have one of the largest largest brown coal reserves in the world. And so brown coal has been what we've been using to generate our, our energy for, 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 for decades. Is that um, better than black coal? or no, okay. no, no, it's actually worse. It's wetter <laughs> okay. uh, than, than black coal. 
and 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 there's there's been a, a debate for a very long time around the coal industry because it, it, it's a very big industry here. Quite um, in in I think in the next couple of weeks, one of the coal-fired power stations uh, in Victoria, which provides let's call it 20%, I don't know the numbers, but a reasonably decent chunk of our, uh, of our electricity will, will go offline. The company that runs it has said it's no longer economically viable and doesn't fit into their plans of uh, uh, renewables and, 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 and gas uh, power production. So what, what we're entering into and what I don't think we're quite managing to face into just at the moment is there is no national strategy around energy production in Australia. Um, there's, there seems to be a bit of a mismatch between uh, what individual states are trying to do and where their powers finish and end and what federally they're trying to do. We have for a very, very long time argued over putting a price on carbon to give things like coal-fired power stations actually uh, more certainty around their income sources, um, which which is one thing that that does, even though it does encourage cleaner energy, it also makes the economic proposition for, for an unclean energy more viable because it's uh, they're dealing with more certainty. Um, so so there's, there's a range of things that are going on here and, and it, it's a kind of a watch this space and, 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 and a lot of confusion, I think, at the moment, both politically and societally about, about what all this means because no one quite knows at the moment. We're being told horror stories about um, 30 and 40% increases in electricity costs, more blackouts, so on and so forth. And uh, and it, it, it's going to be interesting, particularly over the next probably year and a half, to see where all of that lands and how, uh, because our current government is pushing back so hard against renewables. Australia is a very, very large country and a very, very warm country, and quite a lot of it has quite a lot of sun. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's a fair bit of desert here. We could probably, and, and I'm no electrical engineer, I don't know for sure, but, but stuff that I read tells me that we could certainly generate and store enough electricity from solar alone to power most of what we need, uh, and, and so perhaps some on demand top up, but there's no political will to do that. So let's get back to the real, really interesting part of this and the hero that we all need, oh, Elon, Elon Musk. <laughs> yeah, Is he the he's, coolest he's rich said, guy in the world or what? But he said that he could fix it. Is that How <laughs> has that been met? Was it like, uh, we'll see, or like, I, I'm not, I don't want to put too much stock into Elon Musk, but he seems to know a fair deal about stuff. And is was he like reacting to, to something that wasn't the the real issue, or is he seen as not someone serious, or like what's the what's the deal I with think he, that proposal? I think it was seen as. Um, so my reading of it was that that was seen as a oh shit, this guy's paying attention to what we're doing. Maybe we can use that idea, or that's an idea that we were already going to run with anyway. His actual offer 
I don't think at any point was taken particularly seriously, but that is not to say that having a battery farm was never an option because mm-hmm. it's certainly one of the options that's been, that's been taken up. Mm-hmm. Just taking up that particular offer, I think, was something that wasn't taken particularly seriously. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the way it transpired was he was actually goaded into saying that by, by another, by a local billionaire who said, yeah, you think you can do that? Put your money where your mouth is. And he said, all right, well, I'll do it for free if it's not done in a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so the, it, it, I, I think he was doing two things, to be frank. I think he was sort of a, a bit of PR for, 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 for himself and Tesla. And oh, I think he, he also genuinely cares about uh, about using renewables and, uh, and, and, and storing renewables as an effective mm-hmm. way of managing energy. Right. Carol, so there you go. If if I uh, may ask, what's the um, um, the consideration like? How like um, Patrick? You ask uh, Turkey like, what's the idea about climate change in Saudi? So mm. I can imagine that it's a much more uh, it feels much more relevant in Australia. So why are and, they pushing back against renewables? Oh. The, um, the, the our current government is a conservative government uh, and. A bit like you were describing the uh, the parliament in the Netherlands, within its own ranks, it's quite split. There are some very f- far right, or you know, in Australian terms, far right, which is not as far right as as as, as your your far right parties are necessarily. But in Australian terms, there are some pretty far right people. Um, Within the Liberal Party, which is uh, or the coalition, it's a, a Liberal National Party coalition, and and amongst those are climate change deniers. Now, what this translates to is that the government itself, in or the Prime Minister and the cabinet of the government, in order to retain the support of their party and maintain their roles, have to make compromises, and and so. One of the compromises that's made quite often is, is around, um, uh, based in economic terms, it goes something like, well, we make money out of and we have access to cheap and uh, energy using things like coal, brown coal, and so we will continue to do that because there is no economic imperative to do it and because it's cheaper for us to do that mm. and we don't need to move to renewables. Is climate change an issue in in Australia? Absolutely it is. Is it something that people care about? Absolutely it is. But do they care? And this is the frustrating thing about the electorate, and I'd be interested to see if yours are the same. Do they care about it as much as the amount of tax they pay? The horrible Mm. answer is no. Mm. Well, yeah, I think that in Holland that was probably the, the change. The Green Left Party is making this a really big issue, and in that case, people have indeed finally, like the voters have actually made it a priority. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So I, we'll I, I would say a decade ago, it would have been a priority. The, the, the way the debate has shifted has focused people much more, um, I would say, selfishly as an electorate rather than, than societally and globally. Yeah, It's um, in France. And before this, I... I do want to mention if you don't believe climate change is real and caused by by humans then that position makes complete sense uh and mm-hmm. we yeah, can debate sure. we can debate climate change until you know 
well, it wouldn't be, a, <laughs> I don't think it should be a very long debate, but we could debate it, I'm sure, for a long time. But that's a different um, conversation. But, don't, yeah. don't get me wrong. The vast majority of the population and indeed the vast majority of the politicians are not climate change deniers. There's no question about that at all. It is simply a case of where that issue sits in the political discourse, right, and it right. doesn't sit high enough. Yeah. Um, for us in France, uh, we are in a somewhat peculiar situation because in the 80s, we went to nuclear. And I think we have a very large, well, I know, I can't remember exactly how much, but a very large part of our electricity is generated by nuclear uh, power plants. So this, you know, the, the, the debate is whether or not we should keep the nuclear plants and some of them are aging. So there's a debate around this, but how green is nuclear? And of course, it's not very, but it's a lot more than coal, for example, right? Yeah, so nuclear is a fascinating argument. one um, because in, 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 from a carbon emissions point of view, it's as green as anything. Exactly. Zero carbon emissions. Exactly. Right. Except you have the nuclear waste you have to do something with, and we can't quite send it into the sun yet. So no, no. That's, that's, what, do you, so, what do you do with your nuclear waste? Well, we, we probably send it to the bottom of the sea somewhere or give it to... Yeah, I, I, I have no idea. I mean... I, <laughs> I think just I hope like some people somewhere do though. Yeah, I'm sure they do. Yes, they do. I, I mean, yes, it's it's I'm I'm sorry. as safe as it can be, which is to say, probably not as much as we would want it to be in a, in an ideal world. But I think we're now getting to a, a situation with renewable energies where it is conceivable that we could we could start a transition. Um, which wasn't the case maybe, you know, 10 or 20 or 30 years, well, 20 years ago, because 30 years ago, it wasn't even a, a discussion. But um, mm. yeah, so that's, that's the, the, pre the, the overwhelming presence of nuclear power in France make, makes this debate very different from um, the debate in other countries. Anyway, um, I think this is going to be it uh, for, for the show. We've had a a good amount of discussions, I feel. And uh, I hope the listeners have had a good time listening to us. Before we leave, however, um, I would like to give you guys the opportunity to tell us where we can find you online if you wish to let us know. If you don't, it's fine as well. Um, but Marlene, what about you? Do you have any online presence? Uh, I tweet when I am irked about something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And they are often similar uh, subjects as uh, uh, you seem to be irked about. So um, <laughs> if people appreciate that, they can uh, follow me uh, at um, Monksies. And I'm going to spell that because it only works in Dutch, I think. Uh, so that's M-O-N-X-I-E-S. Excellent. And your, uh, that Twitter account will be in the show notes, of course. I'd love to hear from people because uh, if anything, this show, what I love is, is getting into touch with uh, people from all over the world. So if they think I'm wrong, please let me know. I probably get some Dutch tweets because I've been referring <laughs> to our country 
as Holland, which is really only a small part of it. So we I'm all sorry. do it. We all do I, it. It's, I'm it's... sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I should know better. Um, yeah, I, I would like to echo that uh, that sentiment. You know, we especially about uh, healthcare, which I know is a, a heavy debate in the U.S. If you disagree with me and are you know if and want to make a constructed respectful argument about why some people should be allowed to not uh contribute to healthcare and why it may it means the system works that's the key part uh i i'd be interested in hearing from you so please do uh come to the show notes or uh my twitter account or anything to to let me know um charles what about yourself um, I've, I've almost entirely given up an online presence, but if you really want to troll me, you can. Uh, <laughs> my Twitter uh, handle is extrepid, um, like intrepid, but the opposite if there were one. Uh, that's Excellent. the theory. Uh, and I, I'm going to spruik something. Um, uh, I, I, if, if anyone is interested in supporting the not-for-profit that I work for, which is known as Eastern Volunteers, please feel free to visit www.easternvolunteers, all one word, .org.au. Look at what we do, and if you feel compelled to, hit the Donate Now button. Excellent. Uh, I'll include this in the show notes as well. Thank you very much to both of you. For me, it's not Patrick on Twitter and Facebook, as I'm sure you know. Um, you can also support the show on Patreon. Uh, if you think that we bring something to your uh, daily lives, or at least uh, to your political or world inclinations, uh, please do consider uh, to go to patreon.com slash the Phyllis Club. Uh, of course, this is, uh, you know, a, a lot of work for me and to keep the show going. And uh, I really appreciate every person's uh, contribution, basically putting their wallet where their inclinations are. We always try to stay. Uh, I, maybe this episode was not as neutral as some people would have liked, but I really think it managed to give the opinion of some of the uh European, larger European uh, population on some issues. So I hope it gave you a little bit of um, perspective on things you might have heard, whether you're in the US or uh, other parts of the world. So anyway, if you appreciate this, do consider coming to patreon.com slash the fetus club. Every dollar counts. And uh, if you don't have any money to spare, you can also go to iTunes, for example, to uh, leave us a review with a few stars. You could do like uh, J.M. Dalava um, from France, actually, who says, accurate and open-minded with five stars, addicted to all Patrick Beja's podcasts, The Phineas Club is one of the best with great guests, period, exclamation point. Uh, proud to be a, a Patreon, a, a patron. We have a French term, which is patriot. It's a term we made up for this. I think it's pretty <laughs> clever. So if you want to become a patriot as well, you can go to Patreon. If you want to leave, um, if you want to leave a review on iTunes or on another podcast catalog, please uh, do so as well. Or talk to a friend about the show. It's always appreciated. Thank you very much to everyone. Thanks to you guys. Oh, and I forgot, of course, Turkey is uh, Turkey Albala, double L, double A at the end. And you can follow him on Twitter. And Turkey is with an I, not like the country. 
So again, thanks everyone. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back very soon for the next show. Bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.